Uh, Our passage today is Numbers 12. It's on page 120 in your Pew Bible. Uh, Numbers is, I think, the third book of the Bible. Um, Fourth book. It's the fourth book. So you can find it on page 120. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to go anywhere apart from you. So would you be with us this morning? Be with my brothers and sisters, um, young and old who are listening. Be with me. Help us to hear your word and to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 3 stands out in Numbers 12. Now the man of Moses, the, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Meek means humble. If you're meek, you're not in it for yourself. You don't think of yourself too highly. How would you like to be described as that? Not so bad, right? Good to be thought of as humble. Um, What if you were thought of as the meekest man, the meekest woman, the meekest middle schooler, the meekest high schooler, the meekest you name it, on the face of the earth? Yeah, most people would want to be thought of that way, but would meek be the leading word on any of your resumes, I wonder? Oh yeah, she'd be a great asset to our team. She is incredibly meek, the meekest person I know. Dynamic, a self-starter, incredibly gifted, a visionary. Those are usually the words that we'd put on our resume. Not meek. Yet, guess which character quality shows up number one when people meet God? The Ninevites hear Jonah preach. God touches their hearts and then they mourn in sackcloth and ashes. The crowds in Jerusalem hear Peter preach. God touches their hearts and they cry out, What shall we do? The Korean church which now sends the most Christian missionaries in the world, grew out of prayer meetings in the early 1900s where the Holy Spirit came and touched people's hearts. This is a quote from one of the early missionaries there describing a prayer meeting. He writes, The Holy Spirit came to us in Pyongyang that night, not with a rushing wind, but with the sound of weeping. As the prayer continued, A spirit of heaviness and sorrow for sin came down upon the audience. Over on one side, someone began to weep. And in a moment, the whole audience was weeping. When you truly meet God, meekness, humility, that's what follows. Meekness that mourns and says, what shall we do? And then weeps. It's not an add-on character trait. It's central to following Jesus. God's word today invites you to prioritize meekness. Moses is in the middle of leading over one million Israelites through the wilderness. And now his brother Aaron and sister Miriam, two of his closest partners, are going to accuse him publicly. Let's see what happens. And as we do... We'll consider three reasons that meekness is hard, 
the reason that meekness should be your top priority, and then we'll talk about how to make meekness your top priority. So three reasons that meekness is hard. First, meekness lets go of respect instead of fighting for it. Our story starts with Aaron and Miriam fighting for respect. They have a problem with their in-laws. Look at verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. They have a problem with Moses' marriage, and they let that be known. Now, you're curious, thoughtful people, and so you're probably like, Matt, are you going to tell us about this Cushite woman and why they're so angry? Um, no, I'm not. Um, the reason is not because I want to let you down, but it's because people have been arguing for centuries about what exactly this marriage is all about. I don't have a solid answer for you, but it clearly has something to do with this woman's ethnicity. Cushite gets repeated twice. We don't know much more. But that's okay because, as with many arguments, the issue that they bring as the main presenting problem is not really the main issue. There's something else going on here. Look in verse 2, and you'll see what's going on. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Do you see it? They want to be respected. But I don't, I don't really blame them when I try and get into their shoes. I mean, Miriam, she watched baby Moses float down the Nile in a basket. And a lot has happened since then, but she's been part of it at every step. When they crossed through the sea, who was the one who led a song on the other side? It was Miriam. And then clearly important to her role is that she's a prophetess in this community, this huge community of over a million people. And she lives with Moses and Aaron right near the entrance of God's special tent, the tabernacle where he would meet with them. So shouldn't she also have a share of the respect, a share of the leadership here? Okay, what about Aaron? Well, Aaron's unique. He has not only known Moses as a brother, he's been his trustworthy co-worker in this whole exodus out of Egypt. In fact, do you remember how, um, if you're a Bible reader, you might remember this, Moses was slow of speech and had trouble with words. And so when God gave him a mission, Moses pushed back on God multiple times. You can read this in Exodus 3 and 4. And Moses was like, God, I can't do this. I, people aren't going to listen to me. I'm not going to be convincing because of my, the problem putting together thoughts and words. And God eventually said, okay, you can have someone help you. And that someone is going to be Aaron. So here's Aaron having been a rock for Moses in some sense. In front of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Moses was saying the words quietly, but Aaron was saying them loudly. Aaron was Moses' mouthpiece. And so you might be able to see why Aaron would want to have a share of respect here. He's been bold for Moses. And Aaron has a special job in God's tent. Isn't he worthy of the people's respect. Shouldn't he be seen as a leader too? 
Okay, so what does this have to do with Moses' marriage? Maybe nothing directly, but when you think you're not getting the respect that you deserve, and you're jealous towards the leader who is getting the respect, and that leader's your leader, and they do something to embarrass you, how does that feel? I mean, it pours gasoline onto the coals of bitterness that are already simmering in their hearts. And so enough is enough. They speak out against their brother, and they fight for the respect that they deserve. And so they fail to be meek. Aaron Aaron and Miriam give us the first reason that meekness is hard. It's hard because it's oftentimes hard to let go of respect instead of fighting for it. Reason number two that meekness is hard, Moses shows us in what happens next. Um, See if you can hear Moses' response as we pick up in verse 2. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Did you catch that, what Moses said in response to their loud accusation? You'd have to look pretty carefully because he didn't say anything. He was totally quiet. And that's the second reason that meekness like this is hard. Because when criticized, meekness frequently stays quiet. Think how difficult this would be for Moses. I mean, it's one thing to have Joe the Zebulonite say out loud in the camp, I don't like Moses' leadership, I'm hungry. But it's another thing to have the people closest to him stab him in the back and trash talk him in front of the whole group. This is not just frustrating, this is betrayal. Aaron and Miriam know their brother's history. They know his insecurities. And they know that right now in the wilderness, Moses needs help. Just a chapter ago, people were weeping outside of their tent because they weren't getting the food that they wanted. And then God sent a plague and a bunch of people died. This is a hurting community. Moses is the leader. He needs support but they don't give it to him. Instead of lending their help, Aaron and Miriam pull the rug out. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And he stays quiet. So a question for you. How do you respond when people criticize and question you in front of others? For many, that's one of the worst feelings in the world. And it's bad enough when someone criticizes something we do, like if we throw a party and someone complains about the food, or you help plan for office improvements at work and someone complains. It can be hard not to take that personally, but we tell ourselves to be adults and carry on, right? That's what you do. And teenagers and older kids, you guys are even better at this sometime. You put together a game to play with your friends, Your friend doesn't like that game. Okay, fine, we'll move on to another game after maybe we fight it out just a little bit. No big deal. But what about when the people criticizing you and talking bad are the people you would normally lean on, like your family and your friends? When you hear about the rumblings that are going on at Thanksgiving, perhaps. That that cuts deep when the people that you're supposed to lean on are the people who turn on you. 
And that's what happens here to Moses on the national stage, and he stays quiet. Meekness frequently stays quiet when criticized. Now, don't get me wrong. There can be times when you need to speak up. I'm not saying there isn't, but frequently, meekness stays quiet. Now, you might be thinking, Matt, are you trying to tell me that my number one priority is that I need to start being a pushover? That I need to not really care very much? Uh, Not to speak, just to take the path of least resistance and live my life quietly? No. No, that is not what I'm telling you. Meekness is not weakness. I get to spend a lot of time with kids and youth, and sometimes you get these awesome games where you can uh, pick your favorite animal, and then you pretend to be that animal for a while in like a, a sorting game or whatever. The game that I all, the animal that I always pick, you know what it is? It's a horse. Because a horse is strong. In my mind, it's not a shabby old horse. This is a war horse full of courage, able to leap and rear, to gallop up and down mountains. Um, You'd normally think of a war horse as proud and strong, but in ancient England, and going back to the Greeks, they had a term for using a war horse and training it. It was called meeking the horse. The best war horses were war horses that were incredibly strong but didn't move a muscle until they were guided in a direction by their master. Someone writes, Meeking a horse did not mean to strip the power from a horse, but rather to harness the horse's power from a state of wild independence to one of loyalty, so that the horse could be used as the master of the horse intended. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is submitting your reputation, your intellect, your willpower, everything to God. And because God is always engaged in this world and in your life, meekness stays engaged. It lets go of respect, it stays quiet, but it always stays engaged. That's the third reason that meekness is hard. Moses did not check out from leadership when the people complained about water two chapters ago. And one chapter ago, he sure felt like giving up and was angry at God, but he didn't abdicate from his position. He didn't run away. And he's not going to run from this because God, not Moses, is the one who sets Moses' agenda. Meek people let go of respect. They remain quiet when criticized but they stay engaged, and for all these reasons, meekness is incredibly hard. So let me ask you a question. Why would anybody want to be meek? Our story is going to lead us to one reason why meekness should be your top priority. It's because God is the strength of the meek. Did you notice what happened right after Moses and Aaron, uh, or right after Aaron and Miriam spoke to Moses? It's in verse 2. It says, the Lord heard it. And now, all of a sudden, it's the Lord who speaks in verse 4. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both 
came forward. Usually Moses did this all by himself. What do you think Aaron and Miriam are thinking? Oh, this is finally our chance. God's going to speak to us too. God defends Moses right away. Verse 6. He said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Think about this. Miriam and Aaron had built their case against Moses on the basis of their ability to hear God. But God wants them to know that Moses' leadership role is totally unique from anyone else. Did you catch the comparison there? God says, prophets might hear from me in visions and, visions and dreams, but Moses is different. Moses, God says, is no mere prophet. He speaks to me mouth to mouth. He comes in and out and talks with me. God compares Israel to a household. Did you see that, how it says in verse 7, he's faithful in all my house? Think household there. The entire household of Israel. And Moses is like the faithful household manager. He's over everything as a faithful servant. So Moses meets with God, not in the dream world, but in the real world. Verse 8, I speak with Moses mouth to mouth, not through a vision or a dream. And when God speaks to Moses about the direction of Israel, there's no question what he's saying. I speak to Moses clearly, not through riddles. And when Moses spends time with God, it's not just a cloud of glory that he sees. He actually sees, did you see this in, uh, in verse 8? He sees the form of the Lord. God wants Aaron and Miriam to know, Moses gets close to me and knows me in a way that you don't. How dare you criticize him? How dare you speak against the one who's over my entire house? God defends Moses. He's the strength of the meek. So what does this all add up to? What does God want Aaron and Miriam to see about his relationship with Moses? It's that Moses has unparalleled access to God himself. So much that he actually gets to partner with God in leading his people. And that gets to the core of meekness and why it's so incredibly good. Why you should not only prioritize meekness, but why you would be an empty-handed fool if you didn't. When you submit to the living God, he actually becomes your strength. You can't get that strength any way else. You just have to look back a chapter to see that this is true. Moses cries out to God because God has sent fire into the camp to punish complainers. And God actually listens to Moses. 
And then later on, Moses shares God's anger about people who are craving meat. And God gets angry with them, and they make a plan to move forward. Having this type of strength is just, it's something you can't get without submitting to God. Now, wait just a minute, you say. There's one big problem. We are not Moses. Moses is not in the room. None of you are Moses. Why should I expect God to partner with me like this? To be the strength of my meekness? Because you are closer to the living God than Moses ever was. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. But that passage you saw from Hebrews says that Jesus is faithful over God's house as a son. And you are that house if you hold your confidence in Jesus firm to the end. You're closer than Moses. What's the difference between a servant like Moses and a son like Jesus? Two things. First, ownership. I was a servant over summer breaks during high school. Um, I did things like cleaning, mowing, scumming algae ponds, and picking up golf balls. But there, there was a guy, and it was just on one person's huge estate. Um, but there was this guy named Aaron, ironically enough. Aaron was actually the son of the guy who owned the estate. And because of that, he came and went. And you know what he got to do when he came home? He got to fish in the ponds that I scraped algae off of. He got to hit golf balls. He got to enjoy it. More than that, Aaron will get to inherit much of it. Moses was a servant, a steward of God's household. But you, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are sons and daughters in a household that Jesus himself oversees right now. And one day you'll get to experience the wonder of it. All that he has, his heavenly inheritance will be yours and you'll live with him, and you'll reign with him forever. Moses had stewardship, but Jesus has ownership. The second difference between a servant and a son is fellowship. When I served on that estate, I knew pretty much every inch of it because I weed-eated every inch of it for 21 hours a week. Um, but I knew that I was a stranger there. If I saw the family out, I was instructed to stay well away from them. And if a member of the family approached me, I'd be expected to pause what I was doing in order to help them in whatever way that they needed. But Aaron, Aaron, not from the Bible, you know the guy I'm talking about. When he came home, he never did any of that. He, he didn't have to talk to his dad with formality like I did. His dad had the whole place, and all that his dad had was essentially his. Moses was a very, very special servant. He was a managing servant. He could interact with the living God, but he wasn't family in the way that you and I are. Jesus is. He always has been. And if you trust him, if you trust him, he looks at you the Lord looks at you and says, you are loved, son. You are loved, daughter. 
my heart beats in love for you because you are represented by the son that I love with all my strength. The father loves his son and all who belong to his household. So let me ask you this morning, do you belong to the household of Jesus? Do you know that God looks at you and says, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. You can know if your faith is in Jesus as the one who saves you from sin and who makes you right with God, you can know that God has nothing but love for you as his child. Have you trusted him with your life? It's possible for you. It's possible for you to become a son, to become a daughter. How? Because Jesus was meek for you. He didn't hold on to respect. Even though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And he took the form of a servant. And he was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on a cross. He stayed quiet when people criticized him. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But do you know what he did? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And there at that cross, on the cross, at the very moment that he let go of all his honor and stayed utterly silent, he was also the most engaged. He shouldered the weight of shame, separation, and punishment. That shame was reserved for all who rebel against God. And Jesus took it willingly. He stayed engaged. Like a meeked war horse charging into battle. Jesus took the wrath of God that you and I deserve. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So if all this is true, then how do you make meekness your top priority? Well, it's all about going to him but here's the problem. My guess is that most days you struggle with attitudes that are more like Miriam and Aaron's than like Moses's. Frustration at the lack of fairness in your life. Bitterness towards people who seem like their lives are more together than yours. And by the way, when I say struggle, I don't mean that you're like this all the time. I mean, these are things that you wrestle with regularly. Deep down, maybe a bit jealous toward church people who seem like they're doing Christianity better than you are. Or the flip side, maybe you catch yourself being cynical or critical toward people who don't seem like they're pulling their weight as Christians. Maybe even critical toward spiritual authorities in your life. We justify our critical spirits in all sorts of different ways, and we can brood over the ways that we're right and the way that others are wrong. But really, it's just pride. Our hearts are like cups of liquid um, ready to be shaken up. Um, this is a, a thing that Kathy likes to talk about with biblical counseling. Uh, pride poisons us on the inside. And then 
we get shaken up. And guess what spills out? Because pride's on the inside, it spills out of us. Or bitterness about how you've been pulling the parenting weight during the bedtime routine. And it spills out in massive, passive-aggressive comments. Like, what are you doing down there, honey? Or maybe pride could spill out in a quieter way. Someone makes a comment about a relationship you're in that offends you. And you pull away, pull away, you keep pulling away. And the offended thoughts, they don't necessarily spill out of you publicly, but they're laying stagnant on your heart like smelly water, keeping you from loving others. Um, okay, let's pretend this is not poison anymore. Um, you might have proud anger about a real injustice or incompetence by authorities here at church or elsewhere, and it could spill out into gossip. Did you hear what they decided? How could they do that? How could they let that happen? And the people listening get infected. And that includes the kids that we're raising. Side note, very important side note. Um, you've heard Rick say it. I'll say it too. I am so thankful for the way God has worked meekness into our church family. Um, I think because of the nature of Aaron and Miriam being critical, it's important to grab on to that application, be careful of criticizing church leadership. But I don't go there because I have a bone to pick or because I've had people come and criticize me. I've experienced the opposite. And I'm grateful for the humility that God's worked into you all. Um, so thank you for the lack of critical spirit. We need to be aware that we can be faithful people, though. We can be faithful like Aaron and like Miriam. And a critical spirit can sneak up and surprise us. So what can we do with our poisoned hearts? Who will help us? The stakes are high because Miriam, Aaron, and Moses' God is our God. He cares about holiness just as much now as he did then. He cares about defending the meek. He cares about our meekness just as much as he always has. Let's see what happened to Miriam and Aaron when their pride spilled out in the presence of God. Um, it's scary. Caution. Um, but then we're going to talk about us. Verse 10. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Two things. God reveals her pride by allowing this leprosy, by giving it to her. It's like he's saying, let me show you on the outside what's happening on the inside. You think that you're mature, gifted, and in equal standing to Moses, but really, you're diseased with pride. And then God punishes the pride. That's the deeper thing that happens here. Because you see, if, if Miriam remains a leper, as many of you know, if Miriam remains a leper, she's not going to be able to stay in camp anymore. She's going to be in the wilderness. She's not going to be able to be near God's presence in the tent. She'll be ceremonially unclean. She'll be banished. And she'll live in perpetual wilderness. Aaron wakes up to the reality of just how bad this is when he, sees, when he sees Miriam's face. 
Her face is apparently corroded, white, flaky, horrible. Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. And then in verse 12, let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And now we come to Moses and his only words in this entire story. It's our answer for how we make meekness our top priority. Look at verse 13. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her, please. That's all he says. Moses knows that he never got to be in God's presence because of anything good about him. He didn't earn this. All he has to lean on is God's mercy. And that leaning, that moment of crying out on behalf of another, especially on behalf of the person who wronged you, that's meekness. And God's strong mercy shows up because of it. He turns a life sentence of separation into just a week of shame. If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that, she may be brought in again. Now, don't let the historical foreignness and the disgustingness of that get in the way here. The disgust of a father spitting on the face of his daughter is meant to be a picture of how awful the pride is that has happened. It is awful. It is shameful. Your pride is shameful and awful. So is mine. Because when we're proud, we as creatures are saying we know better than the Creator. God is saying that Miriam needs to bear the shame of her and Aaron's proud words. And that's what happens. So verse 15, So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth, and camped in the wilderness of Paran. That's how God deals with Moses and Aaron's, or with Miriam and Aaron's poisoned hearts. How does he deal with yours? How does he, how does he remove the poison that gets into our hearts? It's through the strength of meekness. Because he was perfectly meek on your behalf, God's Son, Jesus, always lives to intercede for you in the presence of God. Moses interceded when he said, Oh God, please help her, please. But that's just a shadow of what Jesus does for you. The one who looked down from the cross and said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, looks at you and your bitterness or your pride or your anger. He looks at you and he says, my righteousness is theirs. Father, forgive them. If you trust him with your life, his forgiveness and righteousness are yours. And his own spirit lives in you. You are God's household. And like a war horse, he will meek you. The spirit makes your heart more and more like the meek heart of Jesus. Because the spirit puts the living God on your mind and makes you want to submit everything to him. 
And do you know what happens as you do that? That meekness is like an antidote that neutralizes the effects of pride in you. So that when life shakes you up, and you know it will, when life shakes you up, what comes out is marked by the Lord Jesus. Anger towards someone else's sin and the mess it causes, but a commitment not to lash out. Grief toward kids or other family members who don't respect you when you try and speak the truth and love to them. But not a compulsion on your part to try and earn their respect. It looks like a readiness to have others identify sin inside of you instead of a hostility toward them or instead of running away from them so that you don't have to talk about hard things. It looks like a massive suspicion of how accurately you're interpreting somebody else's motives. But a boldness to talk with them and ask questions in love. When the meekness neutralizes the poison of pride, it looks like a compulsion to say, God, help when you're overwhelmed instead of buckling down to handle things. It looks like when you think about past sin, you can still have gratitude that overrides defensiveness to push it away or grief over it because you remember that Christ has carried your shame. We need, we need the antidote of meekness and we need to drink it daily. And that brings us to a final thought about Jesus and Miriam. The God who tore down Miriam and Aaron's pride would one day carry a shame far worse than leprosy because of your pride. Miriam carried her shame for a week outside the camp. On the cross, in total meekness, Jesus carried all our shame outside of the camp permanently. And now he can forever be the strength of your meekness. You prioritize meekness when you come to him. So let's come to the table together this morning. Let's come and we'll take bread and cup in meekness in the presence of the one who became meek for us. Because of his Holy Spirit, what we eat and we drink, we do in the presence of the living God. And so... In just a moment, we're going to have a time of quiet reflection, probably about 30 seconds, um, reflecting on what God has for us. And then uh, Dennis is going to come and lead us in a prayer of confession and assurance of pardon. And when we've done that, then please come to the table. The communion table is for all those who put their faith in Jesus as Savior and King. All those who have turned from sin and, and turned to him. So if you have not turned from sin and turned to him, we'd invite you to watch but not to participate because this meal is to celebrate those who have been gripped by the grace of God and who are coming meekly to Jesus. So come meekly in his name. Let me pray for us and then we'll have quiet reflection. Father, you know the work that needs to happen on each of our hearts. Would you please do that today and do that this week? Lord, we need you.